0: Hello and welcome to Learning Reimagined. I am Allison and with me is Sandy. Hi, Sandy. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing
1: great. How are things going? Things are going really well, really well. It's it's exciting. Hey. Things are coming back to normal. There's um, The school year is coming to an end. It's just a, it's an exciting time. But I know our parents have a lot of questions and as, as we go through this transition and things are opening up that I'm excited about our guest today.
0: I am as well. We have with us today Miss Ryan Federoff. Ryan Federoff is the National Director of Education for Newport Academy. And Newport Academy is a therapeutic boarding school. They are based out of Newport, California, but they are they, they are all over the country. I think they have about 18 different sites. Um, They focus on the mental well-being of youth, I think ages 12 to 18 or 19, I'm not positive. 12 to Um, 19, yes. 12 to 19, and so she is a wealth of knowledge. I'm excited to talk to her about, um, well, basically about her history and what she has seen in, in youth mental health and the changes, and specifically what's been going on over the past year and a half, and what we as parents and educators can do to help our teens, and any red flags that we should be looking for, any coping mechanisms, and and what can we do moving forward?
1: Yes, and I'm so eager to hear what she has to say, so I'm excited that our viewers are here and asking questions, and we look forward to this next hour. I hope you enjoy it.
0: This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Advantages Digital Learning Solutions, where learning is reimagined. Good morning. Hello, Sandy. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? Doing awesome. I am so excited for today's podcast. We have with us a very special guest, a very powerful woman, Miss Ryan Federoff, who is the National Director of Newport Academy. Welcome, Ryan.
2: Hi. How are you, ladies? Oh, we're so good, and we're so happy you're with us, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really happy to be here. This is my first time recording a podcast. So. Oh my gosh, Well,
0: get ready for the floodgates to open. I mean, you have so much to share. I'm very excited for our listeners to yeah. get to know you a little bit. Uh, Ryan, before we get really diving into this, why don't you look, tell us a little bit about you and about what is Newport Academy? Yeah.
2: So so I'm the National Director of Education for Newport Academy. So we are residential treatment center and partial hospitalization programs for teens ages 12 to 19. Um, we focus on the underlying mental health issues that teens are dealing with. So depression and anxiety are the most common that we see. And then we're also dealing um, with the secondary, like maladaptive coping skills they might've developed due to that. So suicidality, self-harm, isolation, Uh, school refusal, um, substance abuse. So kind of that is what we're looking at. And we're also really working in depth with the family system. So as we'll talk about a little bit today, looking at the family and how they contribute or could make some changes to help support the child in improving their mental
0: health. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine how much this past year and a half has really impacted you and, and Newport Academy and, you know, other, obviously our parents have, we, we all feel it, um, but you and your occupation, you're getting a double whammy because you have it at home as well as um, at your workplace. Have you seen a tremendous growth at Newport with this?
2: Um, we can't get the kids in fast enough. It's so sad. And that's across the board at all the adolescent treatment centers that we're in contact with. I mean, they're just overflowing with potential patients. and. It is such a challenge right now. And I think that um, it's been just the coupling with not having the school structure and then having like some propensity to having mental health issues. It's just been overwhelming. So we are growing and trying to provide services in as many different regions as we can in order to what we think is going to be the next round of the pandemic in order to
1: serve this Mm. population. It's really sad. That's a great point that you bring up, Ryan. And when you mentioned it's, it's not, they're getting younger and younger. The mm-hmm. students that They're servicing that 12 years old. That's pretty young. Yeah. It's so
2: sad. I mean, in my community here where I live, which is Mill Valley, California, right outside of San Francisco, you know, we have had two um, suicides of seventh graders <gasps> in our community this oh
0: year. Oh my alone. gosh.
2: That's so it's, been, um, a very challenging time in Marin County. And I think across the globe, I think Mm -hmm. that's what we're seeing. Um, but it is becoming younger and younger. And in the moment of time, these people, these kids feel so, so much sadness and so alone and so isolated for whatever reason that they take extreme measures. And I think we're just seeing it at such a young age. It's, it's really frightening. And for someone who also has my own two children at home, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, we had to work really, really hard over the past year to maintain, and I'm sure we can all understand this, some semblance of normalcy and normalizing what we were going through and just providing and and balancing, you know, our careers and our students,
1: our own children's education. It's, it's a lot to manage on that on that same exact point, we have so many listeners that are in the same predicament and and have such great concern and as we've lived through this for the past year plus, what kinds of recommendations do you have to keep on with this normalcy to help our students?
2: I think one of the things that is the most important thing and something that we really focused on within our own family is, is figuring out what fills your kid up right mm-hmm. Um, what is that activity or that something that they like to do that makes them feel really good? And I'm not talking about video games or, you know, binge watching friends. Um, (laughs) I'm talking about, you know, what are those outdoor activities that make a kid feel really good? So things are starting Mm -hmm. to open up. We have more access now. And I'll talk about this more as we kind of delve into kids that are really struggling. But we need to think about what gives them that warm, like rush feeling inside and makes them feel good. And so for our child, like our second grader, well, he was in first grade with the pandemic hit. He struggled. I mean, the first mm. month we were, and I'm an educator and he, he was crying every day. He was refusing to do work. It was such a battle and he picked up a skateboard and he started to skateboard it was an activity he could do in isolation and so from there we were able to kind of develop this is what fills him up and makes him feel good and that actually kind of carried him through this idea of like not having his friends the structure the teachers all of that
0: yeah i think that's really important to find something get them outdoors if you can Mm -hmm. um i know i have teen my kids are a little bit older there um when the pandemic hit, i had a senior in high school and a sophomore in high school and my senior of course dealt with a lot of different things just because it was her senior year but for um for my younger daughter too it just I felt that they were just really retreating and they really depended on their phones and and Netflix and it just it was really hard like I I teased my younger daughter laying became an activity what are you doing I'm just laying like no, that's not what we do. We don't just lay, right. Let's find something else to do. And so it was right. Uh, and, and my kids are very active and it, it just, yeah. it was a, it was a huge battle trying to get everybody up and out. And, you know, cause you get this, like it, it wasn't quite a depression, but it was just a feeling of blah. Yeah. Um, that, that just was universal.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things that we did that we were like, we're never going to do this. It's never happening is we're not getting her a phone until she's in eighth grade. What did we do? we got her a phone. Um, (laughs) We're not giving her social media. Uh, We gave her TikTok. And I'll tell you what happened is that all these things that I've been speaking about for years, you know, limiting video games, limiting social media, that actually became in that those first like eight weeks when we were really locked down, that really became like their social connection. It actually became a way for them to interact. So in some ways there was some positivity there. Now, for many of us, we started to pull back as we realized they were able to go outside and meet with their friends. We live in a very walkable neighborhood, so all the kids were walking around. Um, And so we kind of pulled all that back, but some Mm -hmm. kids now have gotten into this cycle of playing video games 14 hours a day, being on social media, um, celebrity worshiping, uh, doing all of that that they're yeah they're spending because they're just on those you know they're scrolling those stories all day long um so that became sort of if we didn't put a stop to it and it just sort of spiraled and for many of us it was how we survived work it was like I got to get on a video call just don't talk to me just do whatever you need to be doing right, right. Now be quiet right
0: I don't know how parents did it with the younger kids um having to be in charge of their education at home mm-hmm. and to be able to work and I at least my kids are older so that we had that you know they understand handle most. yeah <laughs> they could mostly handle it there, we had a lot of lane but um yeah they were able to do their own work <laughs> but for the p- parents with the younger kids I just I, I think there's a lot of um reactions that we're going to see long-term. I think there's going to be a lot of effects of this pandemic that we don't even know yet. You might have foresight into that, but- Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. I've seen it. I just, mm-hmm. I just think oh. that we're going to see that real from these effects for many, many years.
2: Yeah. And I know, you know, it was so funny because in 2020, the word of the year, right, was pivot, right? I used yes. pivot every day. It was what I called the word of the year. And mm-hmm. now I think we saw that New York Times article and it says the word of the year is languishing, right? Like Right. Basically, it's that blah moment, that blah feeling that you um, that you are feeling that kind of in between happy but not depressed, but just feeling unmotivated. you know, like I noticed my executive function skills. I mean, I couldn't finish a project. I could start a project. I couldn't finish a project to save my life. Um, and I think my kids went back to school full time. This is, I believe, our third week back the first week they were back, I literally could stare at my computer for hours and couldn't get anything done. Um, and now I see I'm starting to come up for life and I'm starting to get like reinvigorated and I'm starting to get my motivation, but I didn't realize how much I was just surviving last year with children, like survival.
0: Oh, it's it's interesting. Um, Ryan mentioned an article. I believe it was in the New York Times. We have put the link up um, on our on all our social medias. It'll be on this as um, on the tail end of this as well. But it's a fascinating article. And learning what languishing—this new—it's not a new term, but just the definition and how it affects um, how it really just re- relates to where we all all are in life. And I'm reading it. I've never been a depressed person. I'm a very hyper energetic happy most of the time but even over the past year i had this not depression and i kept asking myself am i depressed like is this what depression is and it's not mm-hmm. but i questioned it quite a bit and i'm reading this article i'm like wow that's that's right there that yeah. i think universally i think that's what we all are feeling yeah. for sure i mean i definitely
2: think that people have a propensity towards depression and there's definitely mm-hmm. people that are severely or moderately depressed or mm-hmm. anxious Um, But I think that there is a group of us and teenagers that are in this in-between stage and we didn't know what it was and we didn't know like how to label it. And it Mm -hmm. totally made me like, once I read that, I was like, oh, okay, I can get out of this. Yeah. I think it's really important when we talk about teenagers because teenagers that are feeling that kind of blah low motivation, they don't have the insight that we have in order to be able to identify that this is a moment in time it's not a good feeling they don't like the feeling Mm -hmm. but they don't have the insight to kind of like understand it and so I think that's where we've sort of seen kids starting to fall into a more severe depression we have the skills and the ability to kind of maintain in that languishing that in-between state kind of purgatory where there's like (laughs) a real like
0: Obvious Mm -hmm. solution,
2: right? We can do that. We have the skills Mm -hmm. and many of them just don't have the skills.
1: And then go ahead. No, I don't mean to interrupt you, Ryan, but exactly that. Like when you're saying identifying that, when I read that article, like Allison said, Mm -hmm. I could relate to it as like, oh my gosh, identifying that. And Mm -hmm. I have two teenagers. And so how, as a parent, how do I help them get from that to... Not not the other like, spectrum, like, right? Like, yeah. Those tools. And so I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Ryan, but that's no. where you were going is what are those skills? How do I help them? How do I I know how to help myself, I think, <laughs> but how no. do I help them? Well, you know, and for many
2: of us too, like we're gonna hit summertime, and what's gonna happen in summertime is we're back to that kind of unstructured sort of weight w- waffling, which for us parents, is normally manageable for the eight short weeks, um, but then for us who feel like we've been in this for now over a year and our kids just got back full time, right? Um, I think it's going to be a challenge, and I think that that eight weeks of just sort of like wavering and waffling and and not having a schedule is is going to be a challenge. So, you know, um, for younger kids, I really um, and and the other part of it too is that activities have gotten really expensive. We've noticed an increase here in the prices of activities. Um, it's really challenging to set up your kid for success over the summer if you don't have the financial resources. I know sure. the YMCA and all there, there's different organizations that have more reduced camps, but I think that we need to think about how we can maintain routine and structure in our kids' days and really enforce that. Um, I don't mean like scheduling down to the minute. I know that that is not successful. You have to have routine, but have flexibility. I think for, um, I think when we talked about earlier, those activities that fill kids up and make them feel good, Mm -hmm. throwing as much time and energy as you can into that. I think one of the things that we've all hopefully have a little more of now is a little bit more flexibility. We know we're working from home. We know we're managing our children. We know that we don't have um, all of the amenities that we normally are used to having. So I think building out time in the day to help you and your child get outside, take a walk, for okay. lunch. Um, you know, we uh, you know often go to the skate park. We take the kids to the beach. We get them outside, activities, and, and also identifying with them. I know we're gonna talk about this today, but how we communicate with them. Talking to them about how, like, what are some activities that you would like to do? What are some things that you'd like to try that are maybe new? Oh, interesting, yeah. Yeah, like, what are some different things that kind of draw you in that we could maybe try? Is it indoor Mm -hmm. rock climbing? Is it um, mountain biking? Is it surfing? Um, So I think that really engaging the kids, too, in those activities and asking them what they think, getting their buy-in is really important. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's very important. I think um, summer always provides a challenge, um, just because parents are working, kids are at home, um, and now adding into this, you know, culture of Lane and Netflix and <laughs> trying to no. break that cycle. That's that is going to be a challenge this summer. Yeah. Um, but you're all right. Things are opening up a little bit more, so there will be some opportunities, and parents just really need to focus and make it a priority to mm-hmm. get to break the cycle and get um, get kids outside. But now as the past year and a half has gone on, there is the languishing, there is the not quite depressed, but just languishing. Mm-hmm. Um, what? How do we determine whether it's normal languishing effects mm-hmm. of the pandemic, or if it's something more severe that we really need to pay attention to? Are there red flags that we should look for as parents or, and as educators?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, some of the red flags that we look for, right? Like we have to be able to differentiate between uh, normal adolescent behavior, right, mm-hmm. and um, and that normal has kind of changed a little bit in the pandemic. Um, and what is concerning? I think okay. the first thing I want to tell parents is you've got to follow your gut. Your gut is generally giving you some piece of information that something is not right, but maybe you can't pinpoint what it is. So follow your gut. That's number one rule. Um, things that we kind of look at are. Um, changes in their eating habits, their sleeping habits, sleeping too much, not sleeping enough. Um, If kids were, are not showering frequently. So like, you know, and when I'm talking about kids I'm talking about like our teenagers and when they're not, they're not, you know getting enough sleep or engaging in taking showers daily. Like that's concerning behavior. What about their social situations? Are they changing who their friend groups are? Are they feeling senses of sadness? Um, Are they having irritability or mood swings? Are they seeming scared or are they having social anxiety, not wanting to go out with their friends? Um, Substance use and drop in grades are, you know, of course a red flag. Experimentation is really normalized and there is some level of experimentation that does occur, but I would be really concerned if a middle schooler is experimenting with marijuana at any level. Mm -hmm. That to me is a concern or alcohol. You know, experimentation would typically be a more acceptable behavior in high school, more thought to happen. But if you've got something, eighth graders trying drugs, then I would be concerned because they're more likely to have, you know, they're more likely to get addicted and to have suicidal ideation later on or substance use issues, um, getting in fights. So, irritability, we all know is normal, hormonal outbursts, right. totally normal. I have an 11 year old, I know that. Um, <laughs> very normal, mostly directed at mom. Um, But I wanna talk about like aggressiveness towards a parent or a family member. Like that is concerning. Like if they're getting really aggressive, if if their behaviors are becoming um, really out of control. So those are just different things that you can look at. You're looking for the extreme signs. And sometimes it does happen kind of slowly over time. And then one day all of a sudden the parent goes, wait, this something doesn't seem right something's not right. And so really following that gut intuition is one of the most important things I can tell parents.
0: Okay. And what, what if my gut is telling me something's not okay? What tips do you have for seeking help? What, what, what would I do? Who do I call? Do I talk to their pediatrician? Do I I call you? I mean, what do I do? (laughs)
2: Yeah. So interestingly enough, I love pediatricians. They don't always have the most information about resources in your community. Okay. Um, the first thing that I always tell parents to do, if you have the ability to have a thoughtful conversation with your teen, if you're in a moment with your teen and you're sitting there and you're having spending time together and having some really open moments, use that as an opportunity to segue into some questions. You know, we call this, it's called motivational interviewing. It's a therapeutic strategy that's used. I love it. Nice. It's Motivational
0: asked, interviewing. I might have one
2: down it's asking open-ended questions. So it's saying things like, um, you know, you seem overwhelmed. Can you tell me how school's going? Or, you know, how are your friendships going? Or I'm seeing some changes in you. Are you feeling any of those? Are you seeing any of those? Like just kind of trying to understand, you know, a little more of what's going on. So you're asking open-ended questions. You're not telling them. I see you're not taking showers. I see you're not sleeping. You know, well, you're up on your phone. You know, getting really accusatory. Instead, you're approaching it from this real, this place of compassion and understanding, mm-hmm. and you're kind of getting them to sort of tell you information. They may not open up. They may continue to be closed off. They may continue to feel um, like they don't want to share any information with you. But at least you're starting that conversation. And again, kind of reinforcing with your gut what's happening, right? Like, oh, this is seeming not right. Then the next piece of that is seeking professional help. Um, If they're not opening up to you, you might suggest, would you be open to, if you don't want to open up to me, I can understand that. Would you be open to talking to somebody else? Would that be something you would explore? And really putting the ball in their court, not telling them they're going to do it. Um so schools often have I'd be wary of like how much information you're disclosing to a school. You don't want to talk about heavy substance use. You don't want to talk about any of that. What you want to say is my child seems to be having some depression issues or some anxiety issues and I really want to seek out some support for them. Do you know any people in the community that do really great work with teenagers? Um and asking them for those again, really don't get into the details of any substance use anything like that, but really right. just saying, and also telling the school, I just want you to know we're really concerned, but as parents, we're, you know, we're stepping in and we're doing some work, but I just want to red flag and, and let us know if you see anything. Let us know if you have any concerns
1: too. That's really important to share that piece is not to over-disclose. Yeah. So,
2: yeah, the substance use part is still something in schools. I think it's a it's kind of a, a difficult conversation. Um, they, you know, we see it as really a, a maladaptive coping skill in young children, but schools still see it as a very behavioral issue. Um, so you just don't want to get them into a place where um, they're being seen as a, a bad influence or a negative child. in Sure.
0: Yeah. Um, changing gears here just a little bit, um, let's focus on the COVID and the pandemic. Um, what, what do you see with Newport Academy and with, with the students that are enrolled with you? How difficult is it that for them to focus on their academics while trying to focus on recovery?
2: Um, so our program really integrates their academics and their recovery together. So we're really mm-hmm. focusing on Um, How are their mental health issues showing up in the classroom? So their peer interactions, um, their school-based anxiety, pressure from the family. Um, So we're really integrating all of that. I mean, I think that, you know, look, the kids are coming in feeling that same languishing effect we are, right? The low motivation, Mm -hmm. even really good students struggling like no motivation to get onto Zoom. Um, I know some, a significant amount of families, this was a conversation I was having yesterday, continued to opt into extended distance learning during, through their districts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was that the, the, the children in the families have a lot of power now. So what's happened is our parenting, I think this is really important to bring up, our parenting has kind of gotten watered down. We often send our kids to school. They receive social feedback from their peers. They receive social cues from their teachers. Um, and they also received feedback from us as parents. In the pandemic, we were the sole providers of all discipline. We were the sole providers of all of that, and we got tired, okay? So I would say, you can only have the video games for 30 minutes, and then I got on a phone call, and here we are an hour and a half later, and kids still on the video games. So my boundary setting got weakened. My kids didn't take me quite as seriously anymore. And so what I think we're seeing is that kids have a lot of the power now, and we need Mm -hmm. to shift that dynamic and that paradigm. Now that we have a little bit more bandwidth, we need to be able to say, okay, we need to reset our family. And so that's what we're kind of doing. And a lot of what's happening at Newport is, you know, kids are coming in with really severe issues at Newport. We're seeing a lot more eating disorders. Um, We're seeing more severe social anxiety, Mm -hmm. Uh, more, we're going to see, I think, an increase in school refusal. Um, and so what we're doing is we're really helping the family system to look at how's the family, how are they contributing to this and how can we shift that dynamic within the family system? It's not just the client that's the identifier. Right it's the whole family.
0: That's that's interesting. Yeah. It's uh, and by doing that, we're
2: we're hoping, you know, and by doing all of this work, you know, what we mm-hmm. see in the classroom is as we improve their skills around their depression or anxiety they're able to improve their focus and concentration in the classroom their mm-hmm. goal setting and we're doing a lot of that goal setting every day um you know when we do all of our advantages schoolwork, you know today you're going to finish you know we want you to finish five percent of english in this block period mm-hmm. and when they finish it we connect how do you feel like you set a goal, you achieve that goal. How does that feel inside? And they are often like, yeah, it felt really great. And it's like, that's what setting goals and following through with goals will do for you in life. It'll make you feel really good, warm you up, fill you up inside, right? A positive feeling.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I love that you approach it holistically with the students, not just the student and their, um, whatever they are in recovery for, but holistically, and you look at their, their whole environment, their schooling, their parenting, their family life. And to me, that just, that, that's great. And I think it's okay to, for our parents, I mean, maybe your child is not to that degree and is not in some sort of therapeutic. Right. But it's okay to have those open conversations where you say, let's reset our family. Like that that really struck with me. I'm like, that's fantastic. You're not just going with it anymore. You're You're admitting that we haven't been awesome. And you're admitting that there's some things that we need to change, and having that open dialogue with your kids. And I don't think age is an issue. I think you can do that even with elementary level students. Your family, the younger kids. I think you can do it throughout.
1: Well, we did a reset. Oh, go ahead, Sandy. No, I'm so sorry that the whole boundaries and resetting them. That is yeah. so important for in any setting, whether it's in education, families, work. It's just something that is so pertinent right now. I mean,
2: I think teachers in the classroom have to do it. I think administrators in schools have to do it. I think we have to do it. I mean, I like I was saying, we did it. So my husband's a teen therapist, so it really helps. <laughs> but we he kind of said, I know, right? I have that. We're gonna have
0: him on next week, I, that's fantastic. <laughs> uh,
2: so he, you know, so we um, so we reset our family because I'd lost mm-hmm. complete control. I mean, I, re, I like, if anyone in the family didn't have control anymore, it was definitely me. Um, <laughs> So he was still fine, but we, you know, we had to do that around video game use and we were successfully able to do it. When he went back to school, we used it as an opportunity to say, okay, we need to reset. Like what we're doing has not been working. We cannot continue this way. You can have 30 minutes of Minecraft a day. If you do these certain things, you've got Absolutely. to read for 20 minutes. You've got a skateboard or do a sport and then you can have 30 minutes. So that's like. And you have, and so that's how we kind of reset. And so we're just sort of slowly taking the power back because mm-hmm. uh, we did. We kind of like had to give them some power in order to survive.
0: <laughs> and that that's an interesting twist because academically speaking, I felt the pandemic gave parents more power with students' academics. You see a lot of pushback yeah. with parenting uh, with parents against the school district, like this isn't good enough anymore. I'm seeing we're seeing a huge uptick in. Blended learning situations now because yeah. parents are like, this is not good enough. I want my child to get classes from here as well as from here, and I've seen a lot more parental involvement in education. But your perspective is very interesting, and you're absolutely right. In the home front, parents have lost a bit of control because mm-hmm. it's we've been in survival mode. I mean, I feel like we've all been in war. You know, I it feels you're just surviving. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I agree with you. I mean, I think that for the first, for few months of, for the first, probably, I don't know, the the last months of last year and the first few months of this year, I definitely felt like, wow, I have more insight into who my kids are as a student than I ever did. Mm -hmm. I really felt like I understood them. I knew what their challenges were. Um, I knew, you know, I knew I didn't want them at home. Um, I could check that box for you. Um, but I, I really felt like, wow, I really understand them. My son has like an amazing second grade teacher this year. So that was also very helpful because she was really insightful. Um, but I agree with you. I think that parents are thinking outside the box about what's going to work best. I think too that kids who had social struggles in school are actually really benefiting from this. The kids that were really, constantly in comparison mode to their peers and also craving social interactions Mm -hmm. um, and weren't able to get them and have that like kind of authentic high school experience. I think for them, online learning has actually been kind of a gift. It's alleviated Mm -hmm. a lot of stress from that for them. I agree. It doesn't mean that parents shouldn't be finding social outlets outside because it is such an important part of just like development. But I think that it's eliminated some pressure for kids, and I think that that's also become something that's apparent, which is what I think you're seeing. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think also with everybody being um, quarantined or you know locked down, whatever you called it in your community, the social media aspect kind of stopped because nobody was doing anything. So mm-hmm. the the yes. jealousy of oh so and so and so and so are hanging out together, and I'm not there. You know that's that wasn't happening. So I I felt a huge relief at least temporarily for our kids in that regard. Um, but that is another issue that we could probably have a whole another podcast oh, yeah. is oh, yeah. the social media influences in our kids. Um that it's been a almost a um life source for them over the pandemic just to keep connected. You know, the mm-hmm. TikTok dances okay I know we all learned at least one with our kids trying to just keep engaged. Yeah. Um,
1: there were That's some I didn't
0: know were inappropriate and then found out later. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to, we won't be. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think social media in, in that regard over the pandemic has been a blessing because it did keep kids somewhat connected without the pressures of, um, of being left out. But now we're, yeah. yeah. But now we're back into that where mm-hmm. there is that social media. Crush. And it's that's another one that I think with with in your in your field that you see a huge amount of, um, you know, references to the social media and how that is aiding in the anxiety and the depression with youth and leading to all kinds of things.
2: Totally. I think that, um, you know, I think that there was, again, when we talk about that sense of relief, I think for certain Mm -hmm. kids that were feeling excluded or not a part of, and social media was Mm -hmm. highlighting that for them, I think for them, there was a sense of relief. Mm
1: -hmm. And that
2: this is where we talk about that integration being really difficult back into normal life, Mm -hmm. uh, where I think this is where we start to see sort of those extra added layers of that anxiety and like unmanageability Mm -hmm. kind of developing and becoming a parent. And, you know, we are seeing it for sure. And I think too, um, this is where, you know that celebrity sort of obsession started to Mm -hmm. come where they sort of get obsessed with certain celebrities and the way they look and the way they behave and the way they act. So we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing, um, you know, obviously I mentioned earlier a real significant increase in eating disorders. My sister's a pediatric nurse here in the Bay Area And she said her entire PEDS floor is eating disorder patients. You are kidding. Yeah. And she said, like, we don't, I mean, that's what we're treating now. Like, that's what we see. And it's, it's young girls mostly. Um, And it's just so, so sad. So, and we're seeing just really different and unusual behaviors we haven't seen before, you know? And so it's, it's kind of like, you know, the, the mental health challenges have just increased tenfold over the past year. And I think that that's only going to become, you know, kind of a, like a spiral effect over the next few years. Schools are going to have to figure out how to manage that too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because
1: mm-hmm. there's a trickle effect as well. You know, oftentimes we talk about the freshman 15 when girls go to school or, mm-hmm. and I've heard even within my peer group, other moms saying, "Oh, it's the quarantine 15," and yeah, I'm using this language so loosely that it's yes. just affecting our younger kids at home. Mm-hmm. Because oh, right. we, mm-hmm. we poke fun and and but it, these these words have so much power, and to see so many young kids having these eating disorders, it's I can't help but to think there's that connection. Mm-hmm.
2: Definitely. I think that, you know, our parent kids have spent so much time with us and they have heard so much more of our like adult speak than they normally would. Um, And they've taken on some of our anxieties. Right. Like that was something we really tried hard to do is, you know, we live in a community that was very like COVID cautious, was very much about masks was very much about quarantine, like very rule following on everything. And we were like, we're gonna follow the rules, but we're not anxious, we're gonna be okay. But I think a lot of kids took on that anxiety from their parents mm-hmm. and it's cause they've been hearing more of that. So I agree with you, stuff like talking about your quarantine 15 or your your quarantine 19, some of them have been yes, saying.
0: The COVID-19, yeah. The COVID-19,
2: yeah. I mean all of that is contributing to just like their overall like where their mind goes and and hearing that. So, you know, we model so much of what our kids do and how they behave and it's so important for us we all have different things that go through our mind and different stresses and worries and anxieties and it's just really important that we keep those amongst us adults, you know, and we have those conversations amongst us with our spouses, with our peers, Um, And really keep them from taking that and hearing that and and feeling that.
0: It's so critical. It it Mm -hmm. is critical. Uh, Ryan, I know we're running out of time here. So is there any, if you could give one piece of advice to parents, um, anything, if you could get one thing across to everybody, what would it be?
2: I think the number one thing I'm going to say is trust your gut and do not feel shame. So ask for help. And it's okay because there are so many people out there that are struggling. And I think the most important thing that we can do is not feel shame about it because that shame will carry over into our kids. So -hmm. we need to be open and honest and feel okay with the fact that, and not place the blame anywhere and just understand that this is just something we need to do together. And there is a ton of support out there for parents to help navigating this,
1: reach out for help. I love it. Trust your gut. This has been so insightful and yeah. so a gift to have you with us. I just appreciate your time.
2: Well, I appreciate our partnership over the years and I appreciate you ladies. And this is so cool. My first one ever, sorry about the dog, by the way, of course, you know, <laughs> like kid, it right? You start it's to really do something hard. and they go crazy. <laughs>
0: yes. uh, and we might want to have you back here in a couple of months to talk more about how at the end of summer, maybe, and how we're going back into school and what we're, what you're seeing on your end. I think that yeah. would be following following how mental health has changed over this pandemic. I think that'd be a fun thing to watch. So you're going to be a repeat guest. You might be. I our would first love guest. that. I would <laughs> love that. My husband on, we can do a dual show. He's really oh. fun. Oh, that would cool be fantastic. That. Okay. Next yeah. time for sure. We'll have him on and it'll, yeah, it'll be very interesting. I look forward to it. I love it. Thanks ladies. All I right. well, you. Thank you so much. All right.
1: Thank you, Alison. Uh-huh. Thank you.